Hello, and welcome to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I am, as you know, Garrett Ashley Mullet. This is my show. Today we're going to talk about fraud, and we're going to talk about the election, and we're going to talk about courage in the face of false accusations, and in the face of threats, in the face of fear, we must be bold, in the face of fraud, we must be honest, and we have to persist, we have to endure. This week was the 2020 election. It was much anticipated, not just here in the United States of America, but around the world. It has been a difficult, trying year for everyone. And the reason it's been a difficult, trying year is in no small part because of the reaction to COVID-19. Not COVID-19 itself, but the reaction to COVID-19. There was a hysteria which gripped this country, which gripped people. If you'll remember, earlier this year, the toilet paper was not on shelves anymore. We couldn't buy toilet paper because everybody panic bought toilet paper. Why did they panic buy toilet paper? It's still a mystery. We just know that when we went to the store, we couldn't find any. And when you asked around of your friends and family if they'd been able to find any in town, they said the same thing. We can't find any. When toilet paper was available again, it was rationed. Oh, you can buy one of whatever we have. You can't be choosy. You can't decide whether you like this brand or that brand, or this is a good price or that's a good price. It was what it was. You could only buy so much and you had to buy it at uh, an elevated rate. Now, why were people panic buying toilet paper in particular? We don't know. We just know that you couldn't get toilet paper. That's all that we knew. Am I saying there's some big massive conspiracy with regards to toilet paper? No, I'm just stating a fact, a fact that you know as well as I do. Now, I'm not going to say that the toilet paper issue is what bothers me most about this year, but I bring it up because I think it's uh, indicative of the irrationality which has gripped so many with regards to the election as well. The fatigue which has gripped so many with regards to the election as well. We were not even very far into the election process, and already I was hearing defeatism. I was hearing anxiety from my friends who are Trump supporters. I know very few people who are uh, supporters of Biden, who like Biden, who want Biden to win. I know a lot of people who hold their nose and say, we really need Trump to win because Biden is bad for the country. Not because of Biden, but because of all of the people who write the teleprompter script for Biden, who will write his administration's script for governance, for policy. Biden is not Biden. Biden is the radical left that controls Biden. He is a puppet. He is a figurehead. He is a appeal to normalcy, which is illusory, which is a mirage. He is the water in the desert that once you arrive there, you realize that was not water after all. That was a pack of hyenas, which is hungry, which wanted you there so they could devour you. So we can't look at this voting and this election and this decision about what to do with allegations of voter fraud as being a question that has passing significance. We have to look at it as a time for deciding. Now, earlier this year, a lot of us got it wrong, and we need to come to terms with that fact. We got it wrong when we acquiesced to mask mandates. We got it wrong when we closed down our businesses. We got it wrong when we accepted that our children couldn't go to school, they couldn't play sports, they couldn't have get-togethers with their friends, we couldn't have get-togethers with our friends, or family for that matter. I missed out on my grandmother Renew's funeral. Both of my grandmothers passed away in the past year. So now I have zero grandparents left, 
and my grandmother mullet she passed away late last year 2019 and my brother and i drove up to montana for the funeral we didn't take our whole families it was just he and i we went there to support our father and to pay our respects my grandmother renew passed away this summer and my brother and i we both live here in colorado he lives in evans i live in Greeley, which is basically the same place and we talked about it and we decided we couldn't fly down to florida for the funeral in part because we were concerned that we would leave our families vulnerable in the midst of tumult, in the midst of stress and chaos. We didn't feel like that was appropriate or that that was going to be a good decision for our households. And also because there was a spike in cases allegedly in Florida, not because we were so afraid of coronavirus, but because the people we work with here in Colorado, which is a swing state, which has conservative people, but has very fatalistic conservative people. We just have accepted that Colorado has to always be blue because it turned blue in recent years. It has to always be blue because a whole bunch of Californians moved here and took over. They've accepted that. And so even if they have a different idea, they go along. They go along to get along as much as possible because they're fatalistic, because they've just accepted that this is the way things are now. This is the new normal. The new normal in Colorado came well before COVID-19, came well before Governor Jared Polis shut down the state and insisted that we have a state of emergency. We're all going to die. Give him all the control, make him a tyrant, make him a dictator, and he'll take care of it. So we decided not to fly down to Florida. And so we missed our grandmother Renew's funeral. And that is a, a damn shame because our grandmother Renew, more than any of our four grandparents, was responsible for aiding our growth and development from little on up. She would send boxes of books and clothes and shoes and movies. She bought us as a family when I was a kid, our first television that had a VCR attached to it. And she sent VHS movies, classic movies like Ben-Hur and The Ten Commandments and The Greatest Story Ever Told. She sent Disney movies. She sent all kinds of things which were really important. They were really critical in my childhood. She sent, you know, all kinds of things that helped to provide an enriching experience for my brother and I growing up and helped us to be dignified. She sent brand new clothes when our parents couldn't afford to buy us new clothes. She supplemented our childhood when otherwise our parents were not doing well financially. They were scraping change out of the couch sometimes to buy milk. That was my upbringing. I didn't grow up wealthy. I didn't grow up rich. Still not wealthy. I'm still not rich. I don't come from money. My grandmother Renew passed away and my brother and I didn't feel like we could, given the circumstances, fly down to Florida for her funeral. So was that a good life choice? Was that the right call? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, a lot of people that I know, if they had a family member or a loved one or a friend who passed away, they could not go to the funeral. I have a friend in Ohio whose mother passed away and they were told you can't have a funeral or you can't have people come and pay their respects. You can have a very small private service and that's it. And I, I know that really bothered him at the time. And uh, it bothers me that I didn't get to attend my grandmother's funeral. I felt like it was the decision we had to make given the circumstances. But boy, howdy, the circumstances that we were faced with weren't first and foremost that this virus. The circumstances we were faced with were first and foremost a political and social climate marked by hysteria, marked by people losing their collective minds. And why did they lose their collective 
collective minds. Why did they panic? Why did they freak out? All of that was because of the mainstream media selling us fear porn and terrifying all of us like we were all going to die. You would think from the coverage of this virus, the way that it's been portrayed in media, that the mortality rate is 99%, that 99% of the people who get COVID-19 die. You would think that, and it could not be further from the truth. 99 point something something percent of the people who get coronavirus survive. They live. They're fine. It's not pleasant, but neither is the flu, neither is a cold, neither is any time you get sick. And yet this was a convenient opportunity to drive a wedge between America and President Trump. Now, I want you to consider something for a moment with me. Consider a couple of comments that I read on a YouTube video that was sent to me yesterday. And this YouTube video was some gal somewhere, I don't know her, who is trying to verify a claim that she saw in a video online that there's a watermark on all of the official ballots for the 2020 election. Now, I'm not going to get into whether she found the watermark, whether she didn't, what I think about that. I watched this video from InfoWars, which I always take with a grain of salt. I'm less likely to believe something I see from InfoWars than I am to believe it, even if it might be true. And I'm sure as heck not going to share information that I get from InfoWars publicly because it erodes my credibility if I do that. InfoWars has a toxic reputation for being paranoid conspiracy theory and not being particularly credible. So I watched this video that was sent to me and uh, did a little bit of research to see, okay, is there any validity to this? Is there anything here that could be true? that uh, there's other more reliable sources to verify and confirm. And while I was in the midst of that, I was sharing it with a couple of people that I trust who, who are not going to think I'm a completely uncredible, incredible person if uh, they see that I sent this to them. And so I watched this video and this gal is trying to take a magnifying glass and look at the ballot very closely to see if she sees any evidence of this watermark that supposedly is there by which you can determine ballots have been copied or manufactured. They're fake ballots that were not legitimate or whether they're real and they've been printed by allegedly the Department of Homeland Security. What she found or what she didn't find is beside the point to the fact that as I'm scrolling down through the comments, and I'm just curious how people are reacting to this video, whether they think she found it or whether they think that she didn't find it or if they think she's crazy or if there's nothing to this or whatever. And I found in quick order two comments that were interesting to me. One was from somebody who said they were from Brazil. And the other one was from someone who said they were from Australia. And both of these individuals said, I'm not an American. I don't live in your country, but I want you to know we Brazilians, we Australians are watching your election very closely. We are very interested. We are very invested in the outcome of this election. And I happen to know from some friends that I have in Brazil that Brazilians who support President Bolsonaro typically support President Trump. They see him as a kindred spirit and they like that America for the past four years has had President Trump in the Oval Office. And they have a President Bolsonaro in office for similar reasons because they see rampant corruption in their government and they believe and they hope that Bolsonaro is the antidote to that corruption. Australians, a lot of them, have been locked down severely, much more strictly than Americans were. And there are all kinds of videos of people in Australia being arrested or having the police uh, knock down their door uh, to get them for trying to organize online on social media protests against the lockdowns, against the crackdowns, against the draconian measures being employed to fight this virus. One pregnant woman was arrested in front of her husband and their children. Pregnant woman had a uh, appointment to go get an ultrasound or some prenatal checkup and the police come in and they arrest her for having 
posted online uh, that she wanted to be part of, or she was encouraging people to be part of a protest, a demonstration, an illegal gathering against the lockdowns in Australia. And what I think Australians who are desperate for freedom are seeing in this election is they're seeing whether the American influence abroad is going to liberate them or whether the American influence abroad is going to solidify their current oppression. They're being oppressed and they hope that President Trump wins re-election so that President Trump influences their government to ease up, to take the boot off their necks and let them live life again, to stop oppressing them. If Biden gets in there and Biden locks the country down, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. If he locks the virus down, he's going to lock the virus, he's going to shut down the virus. Ooh. Hmm. If Biden gets in there and he's shutting down America as hard as Australia has been shut down and he's sending the police to arrest pregnant women for posting to Facebook that they're against this uh, tyranny, that they want to go back to work, they want their children to go back to school, they want their husbands to go back to work, they want their businesses to open back up, they want to live for crying out loud. If that's what Biden starts doing here in America, then Australians have it as bad or worse for the foreseeable future until their overlords benevolently decide that it is safe once again for you to live. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. So even if she is a pregnant mother in her pajamas being videotaped by her husband as the police put her in handcuffs in front of her children, that's just the sacrifice that has to be made now, supposedly to keep us all safe. The Australians and the Brazilians and so many others around the world are watching this election with keen interest. And the powerful and the tyrannical and the exploitative and the corrupt around the world want Biden. They want Biden. And if we let them have Biden as our ruler, as our overlord, if we passively submit to that, we don't just jeopardize our freedom and liberty. We jeopardize the freedom and liberty of people around the world. America has traditionally, has historically, has since its founding in 1776 been a lighthouse for the world. We have been, as Ronald Reagan said, a shining city on a hill for liberty. Who saved the world from Nazism? Who saved the world from the Imperial Japanese? Who saved the world from communism or so we thought. America. America did that because America was strong, because America was confident, because America was brave and bold and courageous and stood up and spoke up and acted and put her own sons on the firing line who committed her own wealth, who committed her own resources, who committed her own creativity and ingenuity and manufacturing capabilities. Because of that, the Nazis were defeated. The Imperial Japanese were defeated. Peoples who were being rounded up by the millions and murdered brutally in cold blood systematically on an industrial scale were stopped. My forefathers helped that to become a reality. Both of my grandfathers served in World War II, but before that, I have great-grandfathers who fought in the Civil War. George Fisher McFarland was a lieutenant colonel for the 151st Pennsylvania Volunteers. They were called the School Teachers Regiment. And George Fisher McFarland played a decisive role in saving the Army of the Potomac from quite probable defeat at the Battle of Gettysburg. George Fisher McFarland is my third great-grandfather on my mother's mother's side. He had been a school teacher prior to the Civil War, and when the Civil War broke out and President Lincoln asked for additional troops because the war was not going to be over as quickly and as easily as was expected, my third great-grandfather, George Fisher McFarland, went around recruiting, and he organized 
and he earned a commission as a lieutenant colonel. And by the time of the Battle of Gettysburg, the colonel, his commanding officer, and the surgeon for the company were sick, and they were both sent off to Washington for 30 days to recover. And so George Fisher McFarland was the commanding officer. He was the man in charge at the Battle of Gettysburg for the 151st Pennsylvania, and they took part in decisive action against a regiment from North Carolina. Actually, two regiments came up over a hill and realized that they were engaged against one of the best equipped and most experienced Confederate units. And would you know that that North Carolina regiment came away with the highest casualty rate of any unit on either side of the Civil War in all of its years. Now, in the process, my great-grandfather, my third great-grandfather, George Fisher McFarland, lost a leg. Abner Doubleday credited my great-grandfather, George Fisher McFarland, with having saved the First Corps and having saved the Army of the Potomac from defeat at the Battle of Gettysburg. Now, these Democrats who want to steal the White House now, they tried to steal the White House in 1864 as well. They tried to use mail-in voting to steal the White House. And what the Democrats wanted to do if they won the presidency was they wanted to quickly make peace with the Democrats who had comprised the CSA, the Confederate States of America. They wanted to end the Civil War. They wanted to accept that slavery was going to be with us. They wanted to accept that we were now two nations. And they did not succeed. Abraham Lincoln won re-election. And under the brilliant generalship of men like Ulysses S. Grant and William Tecumseh Sherman, under the decisive leadership of men like my third great-grandfather, George Fisher McFarland, the Union won. Slavery in the United States of America was abolished. From the founding of this country in 1776, we had not lived up to our ideal. We had not lived up to our principles, which were good, sound, honorable principles, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And among these are the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Governments are instituted among men to secure these rights. And whenever a government becomes destructive toward the end of protecting our right, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish that government. Democrats now have embraced socialism, which is another way of saying that they want slavery to be great again. They want to feed you, clothe you, shelter you, keep you safe, and have you work for the greater good on their term. That's another way of saying they want to rule over you. They want to be your master. And all the while, they will allege that they are the representatives of the people. They are doing this for the needs of the many. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. That's you. You're the one. Your wife is the one. Your child is the one. Your mother and father are the one. I'm the one. My needs are outweighed by the needs of the many as they see it, as they define it. So they get to define whatever they think is the greater good and then flagrantly abuse your rights, my rights, all our rights, in this vain attempt to pursue utopia. Biden is a Trojan horse for socialism. AOC is rubbing her hands together greedily. Antifa is rioting. If they don't win, if they don't get the presidency, if they don't get the White House, they will be violent, just like they've been violent. They will light our cities on fire, just like they've been lighting our cities on fire. They will attack cops. They will attack private citizens. AOC says that they are keeping track of who has supported this effort to recount the vote, to litigate, to allege voter fraud. They're taking names, and there will be a comeuppance. Her tweet from November 6, 2020, at 2.16 p.m. says, Is anyone archiving these Trump sycophants for when they try to downplay or deny their complicity in the future? 
I foresee decent probability of many deleted tweets, writings, photos in the future. I have a message for you, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We are also keeping track of tweets, writings, photos. That's a two-way street. You are threatening me. You are threatening my family. You are threatening my friends. It will be remembered. There is a God in heaven. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Even if Biden and the Democrats win by fraud, by the way, they can only win by fraud at this point. Even if they win, there is a God in heaven who will repay, who will judge. Don't fear men who can only kill the body and then have nothing more that they can do to you. Fear God who can both kill the body and send the soul into hell. I want you to think about something for a moment. 2016, in the election between Donald J. Trump and Hillary R. Clinton. Supposedly, allegedly, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by three million people. Three million persons more, allegedly, voted for her than voted for Trump. That may be. It may not be. 62 million Americans voted for President Trump to become President Trump instead of candidate Trump. In 2020, 69 million so far and counting have voted for Trump to remain president. Now you tell me this. How is it that in four short years, seven million more Americans vote for Trump, and yet the Democrats want us to believe there's no fraud whatsoever involved. When a 47-year veteran of Washington, D.C., whose first wife died because she was drunk driving through an intersection, collided with someone else, killed both herself and her daughter, Biden then, after that, went around claiming that his wife had been killed by a drunk driver, failing to mention that the drunk driver was his wife, until he was sued by the family of the person into whom his wife had collided and crashed because Biden was implying that that person was the one who had killed Biden's wife, not Biden's wife herself who had killed herself and their daughter. Biden, who at the time was cheating on his wife with his now wife, his current wife, who was someone else's wife at the time. Biden, whose surviving son has gone around the world selling access to his father for eight years under President Obama, selling his last name, millions of dollars, in the Ukraine to the wife of the mayor of Moscow, to the Bank of China, selling access to the vice president of the United States of America, 10% for the big guy. Who do you think wants to be president? Brazil and Australia want Trump. Russia and China want Biden. Iran wants Biden. This is it. If you're a defeatist Republican who thinks you're tired, you think you're tired, guess what? We're all tired. Suck it up. If you're a defeatist Republican who just wants this to all stop, that you just want life to go back to normal, guess what? It never goes back to normal after this. We will never go back after this. We will never be the same. Now, we have a choice. Is the new reality, the new normal, as we were told in Orwellian tones, repeatedly all year is the new normal socialism, repression, tyranny, corrupt 47-year veterans of Washington being used as puppets and Trojan horses for socialists. For socialists like Evan McMullen, who says on November 5th at 6.36 p.m., tweets out, we should keep and publish a list of everyone who assists Trump's frivolous and dangerous attacks on the election. Name and shame forever. Is that who we will be led by? Is that who we will be governed by? Is that the new normal you want? Slavery. Slavery is freedom. As Winston is told in 1984, the book by George Orwell, slavery is freedom. Socialism is slavery. You are not free to a socialist. You are expendable. You are a means to an end. If you're useful to the party, if you're useful to the cause, if you're useful to the revolution, you have a purpose, 
and we'll keep you around when you cease to be useful to those. If you get in the way of those, you are evil and you will be disposed of accordingly. So our new normal, if you passively acquiesce, if you meekly submit, if you weakly and cowardly shrink into your burrow, tuck tail and run, if you sell us out to the Democrats for your 30 pieces of silver because you think you're tired and you think that they will thank you for it in the long run and they'll eat you last, there's a God in heaven who will judge. There's a God in heaven who sees. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. However, we have another choice. There's another option. The other option is to fight. The other option is to gird up your loins and fight. And it cannot be one man. For four years, we have had a fighter in the White House fighting on our behalf. President Trump is a fighter. And I thank the good Lord above that he is. I believe Trump is a saving grace. He is common grace for the United States of America and the world in our time. I think of a quote I read about Ulysses S. Grant a number of years ago. And it was complained to Abraham Lincoln about Grant that he liked his whiskey too much. And when this was complained to Lincoln, Lincoln responded by saying, well, I wish that I knew what kind of whiskey he likes. I'd like to send a barrel of it to all my other generals. Lincoln said at another time, I can't spare the man. He fights. Now, if you remember, or if you didn't know, I'll tell you here now, and now you'll know, and from here on out, you can remember. McClellan, George B. McClellan, was the commander of the Union forces at the outset of the Civil War. McClellan was referred to affectionately or sarcastically as the Little Napoleon. He was a dandy. He actually is the one the Democrats ran against Lincoln in 1864. But before McClellan ran against Lincoln in 1864, he was in charge of the Union Army. And McClellan was very well-dressed. He wore very fine uniform. He did a lot to organize the army, to train it, to drill it, to make sure it was in a position to where it would be well supplied. But the problem with McClellan is he did not want to fight. He did not want to commit troops. He did not want to engage the enemy. He did not want to win battles unless he got everything he wanted, exactly the way he wanted it, when he wanted it. He was a prima donna. He wanted more troops. He never had enough troops. He refused to do what he could with what he had. He would not fight. And so Robert E. Lee was winning and Robert E. Lee's generals were winning, and they were increasingly solidifying their position and the legitimacy or supposed legitimacy of the Confederate States of America. And McClellan, meanwhile, was criticizing and backbiting Lincoln, mocking him in private, ridiculing him. McClellan thought he was so superior to Lincoln. He thought he really should be president, and he proved that he thought he really should be president in 1864. And he also proved that he was not fit to be president well before 1864. The man would not fight, and he needed to fight. The Democrats wanted to make peace with the CSA. They wanted to accept that this is just the way that it is. They wanted to make perpetual and abiding room for slavery in this country. And Lincoln was not having it. The abolitionists were not having it. Now, whatever you want to say about Lincoln, whether he did some things that you think are unscrupulous, whether he and the Republicans did some things which you feel were not correct, that don't stand up to your high ideals and principles, perhaps you would have preferred McClellan. But Lincoln, for his part, had a goal in view. The abolitionists had a goal in view. The Democrats wanted to put a stop to all this abolition nonsense because we've got 
a country to run. Let's unify. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. They were happy to accept the status quo so long as it meant they could get back to their lives and Lincoln was not having it. And the abolitionists were not having it. Grant came from an abolitionist family. Grant fought. Grant did not dress like a dandy. In fact, Grant very often couldn't be identified as the commander of the Union Army when he was the commander of the Union Army because he wore tattered, worn-out, old uniforms. He dressed under his position. He wasn't dressing for the job that he wanted unless the job that he wanted was a private. Grant also had a drinking problem. He was given to drunkenness. But Grant fought. And what America needed and what slaves in hard bondage needed was a fighter. They didn't need a dandy. There was no comfort for them in McClellan being very nicely dressed, having very fine words, and thinking very highly of himself. There was no comfort for the slave in McClellan thinking he should be president and mocking Lincoln. There was no comfort for the oppressed in fine words, in very polite speech, and in what was at the time and still is very often considered appropriate behavior. Now, there was comfort, on the other hand, in Lincoln, who looked like a big overgrown ape of a man, who was a country bumpkin, who was self-deprecating. There was comfort in a short abolitionist with a drinking problem who fought. And so that's what Lincoln said of Grant. I can't spare the man he fights. And that's what I say of Trump. I can't spare the man he fights. You never Trumpers, shame on you. Shame on you. He wasn't my first choice either. My first choice and the only politician, the only candidate, I should say, I correct myself, the only candidate for elected office, the only public servant I have ever donated my own money to supporting was Dr. Ben Carson. But we are not there yet. If we ever want this country to be a country where a Dr. Ben Carson could be elected president, we have to fight this fraud now. We have to fight them trying to steal the election now. We have to uproot the corruption now. Now, before we even get into whether there's widespread evidence for fraud across this country, whether the election is being stolen, which it is, by the way, but before we even got into that, before we were even the thick of it this week, we knew that Biden was a corrupt politician par excellence. His brother, his son, going around the world and taking millions of dollars from Ukraine, from the wife of the mayor of Moscow, from the Bank of China, so that they could have access to the vice president of the United States of America. Think of that. That man is not qualified to be president. That man is qualified to stand trial for treason. And you never trump Republicans. You want to empower that? How dare you? My grandfathers who served this country honorably would be ashamed of you. And if I did not rebuke you, I would be ashamed to call myself their grandson. Men fought and died, and you can't even summon the strength to speak up? Heaven help us. You don't know what's at stake because all you can think of is your personal stake. You don't see the big picture because all you care about is your tiny little picture and being comfortable. Heaven help us. Lord have mercy. What have we become? Self-indulgent people. What have we become? Tell me where are the righteous ones? I still have fight in me and you need to have fight in you too. The first step is to not give up. If we give up, We've lost. If we've been defeated in our minds, we will be defeated in body as well. If we've been enslaved in our minds, then we are slaves in body as well already. It's just a formality. Going through this recount process will be a sham. 
the outcome is assured, and we and our posterity will never have free elections in this country again. If we let this stand, we are lost. God is still sovereign, but guess what? God is sovereign in Venezuela as well. Do we want to be Venezuela? Is that all right? This is how it started in Venezuela. In Venezuela, the socialists, oh, I'm sorry, democratic socialists. Hmm. Your tyranny of choice this evening is democratic socialism with a glass of port. This is how it started in Venezuela. And how long was it before they were eating their dogs and cats? We stood in line for toilet paper and were rationed. We were told we could have this much toilet paper, no more. We could have it at this price and no more. And you didn't have a choice. Guess what that was a preview of? That was a preview of socialism. That was a preview of bread lines. Bernie Sanders tells us bread lines are good because at the end of the line, you get bread. But bread lines are not good because at the end of the line and at the beginning of the line, you are a slave. You are not free. This is the land of the free and the home of the brave. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. Socialism is bad news. And if you are afraid to speak up against socialism as a Christian because your pastor told you that that is selfish, you are selfish, that is sinful, that is fleshly. Your flesh desires capitalism. Your flesh desires freedom. Heaven help your pastor. I mean that. He is not on the side of the angels. He was taught by other men who were taught by other men who just like McClellan, they want to dress up nicely and they think that they are little Napoleons. They have this inflated idea of themselves. They think they're so superior to an uncouth, bad orange man in the White House. They're too good. Thank God that I'm not like this sinner over here. That's not who Jesus said goes away justified. Jesus says the man who beats his chest can't even look up to heaven, who says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That man goes away justified. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we have become self-indulgent and we have become arrogant and conceited. And we think that very fine words, very fine clothes is a cover for being self-absorbed and conceited. And the price will be paid not by us. The price will be paid by slaves who are whipped or beaten or strung from trees as a warning to everyone. This same attitude that animates Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, is anyone archiving these Trump sycophants for when they try to downplay or deny their complicity in the future? I foresee decent probability of many deleted tweets, writings, photos in the future. Ah, uh, yes, I'm sure you do. I'm sure you will roll the guillotine out, Robespierre. At a certain point, the revolution will eat you too. We are here already in the midst of judgment. This fight is judgment. This uncomfortable year is judgment. This is us reaping what was sown in the 60s, in the 50s. In the 1950s, it was decided that democracy was too important to leave it up to the people. Now, I talked in an earlier episode about Edward Bernays and propaganda. And would you like to know if you didn't take the time to watch the four hours of documentary series on BBC it's up on YouTube. You can find it very easily if you look for it. If you want to look for it, you'll find it. Democracy was too important to leave up to the people. So the people, finger quotes, air quotes, the people needed to be guided. They needed to be manipulated. They needed to be told what to do, what to think, what to say, how to feel. And Edward Bernays was just the man for it. So also our public education system. It is patterned on the Prussian model. Look it up. This is not Alex Jones in Wars stuff. This is fact. This is history. This is reality. This is how it is. And I don't want to hear about how 
your school is different. I don't want to hear about how you came out just fine. I don't want to hear about how little Johnny and little Susie need to be socialized. We're on the verge of socialism. This system, this public education system that trained these children up in the way that they should not go in the 50s, in the 40s, in the 60s. Where did the children of the 60s come from, by the way? When were they raised? When did they grow up? What were their influences? Their influences were the public education system devised by John Dewey, patterned off of the Prussian model. The sexual revolution was a product of John Dewey and Edward Bernays. We had to deconstruct morality, deconstruct the Judeo-Christian values of this country. We had to deconstruct all of the ideas that stood in the way of implementing socialism. And then you ended up with people who were high all the time and having sex with anything that moved. We had a country which I think deliberately got into the Vietnam War so we could lose the Vietnam War for the whole world to see, to make up for the fact that we had emerged victorious in World War I and II, back-to-back -back World War champions. We did not fight Vietnam to win. We fought Vietnam to lose it so that we could get it out of our system that war is some glorious thing and that we should all be strong and courageous and assertive and bold and sometimes violent. Sometimes there's a time to fight as Solomon, which means peace, by the way. King Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes that there is a time and a season for everything under the sun. There is a time for war. There's a time to break. There's a time to hate. Look it up, Ecclesiastes. There is a season and a time for everything under the sun. And the internationalists believed that there was never a time for war. In fact, we need to make war illegal. The academic elites decided we need to reform humanity so that men do not judge themselves based on these traditional notions of honor, individual honor for one, and also national honor, to where we don't respond to a slight from another country by going to war, deadly destructive war. So they took our children, or more to the point, we gave them our children. We Americans gave them our children, and they trained our children up in the way they should not go. And when they were older, they did not depart from it. 501c3 status for churches was dangled as a way of silencing pastors with regards to politics, as a way of muzzling them to democratic ideas about abortion and birth control, about feminism, about the welfare state, about the sexual revolution. Oh, sure. Yes, there was the moral majority. Oh, yeah, sure. There were campaigns against pornography and all of that. But you couldn't talk about politics. And insofar as politics was actually what was driving the changes in society, insofar as the welfare state produced a generation, generations of black children, for instance, who didn't have a father in the home because their mothers were bribed into being unwed and having them out of wedlock because... LBJ was their sugar daddy because the Great Society was their sugar daddy. Those children grow up and all of a sudden there's low graduation rates, there's high crime rates, there's low property values. The schools are a mess. You've got black Americans killing black Americans in droves because they have no ability to respect one another, but they expect all of the respect anyone could ever imagine. And yet they didn't earn it. The way they think they earn respect is by shooting somebody who disses you, who disrespects you, who challenges you. And pastors couldn't talk about that because 501c3 muzzled them. God forbid that pastors criticize public education because that's political. God forbid pastors criticize Democrats because that's political and it jeopardizes their 501c3 status. It jeopardizes their standing in the community, among others who were trained up in the way they should not go. When they are older, they do not depart from it. Separation of church and state, said the public education system that was not there to teach history. It was there to indoctrinate. 
in leftist ideology, either a little or a lot, as much as they were able to, slowly but surely. The teachers' unions who said, we can't go back to work in Los Angeles County until you defund the police. What are they teaching in those schools anyway? What are they teaching kids these days? Well, they're teaching them to defund the police. They're teaching them to be Bernie bros. They're teaching them socialism. Oh, I'm sorry, socialization. Yeah, what's the difference? Are you a boy? Well, I don't know. Do you want to be? Are you a girl? I don't know. Do you want to be? Ooh, I've got an idea. How about let's decriminalize, let's destigmatize pedophilia. Ooh, hmm. Is that the line you can't cross? Is that when people start to wake up? Or do we just still grumble a little louder to a few more people, a little more frustrated, and now we've got a chip on our shoulder. Now we're going around in society angry. And so conservatives just get this reputation for being do-nothings who are angry all the time. Or they go along. Or they criticize a bad orange man in the White House because they're too good for that. They're not too good for pedophilia to be normalized and legitimated. They're not too good for children to be molested in the public education system. They're not too good for abortion to be funded by taxpayer dollars. They're not too good for Planned Parenthood to be murdering thousands of children in this country, perpetrating a Holocaust in predominantly minority neighborhoods, by the way. Kanye West has it right. They're not too good for that, but they are Whew, boy, howdy, they really draw the line, and they know how to draw the line when the mainstream media tells them that Trump is a bad orange man. They know how to draw the line when conservatives and Republicans want to fight for the soul of this nation. Biden was right, by the way. This is the only thing I agree with him on. This is a fight for the soul of this nation. And I blame the high and mighty, the good-for-nothings, the paper tigers who want a reputation for virtue, who virtue signal just as badly as the cancel culture warriors, just as badly as the social justice crowd, a virtue signal about how they're too good to vote for either candidate. Really? Really? At what point are we too good for socialism as a country? At what point are we too good for our children to be indoctrinated in leftist ideology? At what point are we too good for Netflix to be normalizing pedophilia? At what point are we too good for abortion to be legal? Safe, legal, and rare, supposedly. Meanwhile, 2,000 innocent lives are snuffed out every day in this country for decades. What Hitler did in Germany and in Poland and in Western Europe when he took over a country, he rounded up the Jews, had them shipped off. They go to concentration camps and they work, right? Work will set them free, they read on the sign above the gate as they enter. Work will set them free. Freedom is slavery. When it turned out that a ploy to seize the bread baskets had not worked out so well, and there wasn't enough food to feed the German people and the German army, and also all of these other people in the concentration camps who had been dehumanized already anyway, and blamed for all of the problems. They were blamed as the money changers, and they were dehumanized. They were called rats in literature, in speeches. They were portrayed as vermin in art. They were hated, and because the Nazis hated their brother in their heart. They had already committed murder, even just when it was rhetoric. That's what Jesus means, by the way, when he says, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. I tell you, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. God knew what Cain was going to do to Abel before Cain did it, because he knew that Cain hated his brother in his heart. And the Democrats, the socialists, Evan McMillan, Emily Abrams, Jennifer Rubin, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they hate us in their heart. They are setting the stage. 
guillotine is being erected, the gas chamber tile is being laid, and the sign above the gate is being painted, work is freedom. Nothing to see here, folks. The Prussian model of public education was analyzed by education experts in the UK and the US before it was implemented, before it was adopted, imitated, as the model for the American system of public education. And one of the comments about it was that it was designed to make slaves out of 99 and 100 of its citizens, of the citizens of Prussia. Interestingly, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was not sent off to public school, neither were his siblings. His grandmother firmly believed that it was immoral, that the Prussian public schools were immoral and dangerous, spiritually hazardous, not just intellectually, but morally. And I believe that's part of why Dietrich Bonhoeffer had the stones to be part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. That's why he had the stones to rebuke the German church when it went along with the dehumanization and the defrocking of Jews in schools, in churches, in government, in society. You can't own a business now because you're a Jew. You can't teach at the local university because you're a Jew. You can't sit in government because you're a Jew. That at a certain point becomes, we can't afford for you to live anymore. Jennifer Rubin says, any Republican now promoting rejection of an election or calling to not follow the will of the voters or making baseless allegations of fraud should never serve an office, join a corporate board, find a faculty position, or be accepted into polite society. We have a list. She says that at 1.14 p.m. on November 6th. We have a list. Jennifer, me too. Emily Abrams says, we're launching the Trump Accountability Project to make sure anyone who took a paycheck to help Trump undermine America is held responsible for what they did. Join us and help spread the word. She's got a link to the Trump Accountability Project. Trumpaccountability.net. Go check it out. Tell me again about how we can't legislate morality. Tell me, dear friend. Tell me. Tell me, Tim Keller. Tell me, John Piper. Tell me about how Republicans and Democrats, it's all the same. I can't vote. You coward. You coward. You sunshine patriot. You Judas. Or if not a Judas, you're Peter. You know, Peter has this little girl come up to him. Jesus has been arrested. He's been flogged. He's been tried. He's going to be crucified. He is asked, weren't you one of his disciples also? I thought I saw you with him. No, 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 no. No, not me. No, get away from me. Peter curses at this little girl because he wants so badly to distance himself from Jesus. And more to the point, he wants to distance himself from someone he believes will lose because he doesn't want to lose too. Now, it doesn't mean that Peter is irredeemable. It doesn't mean that Peter doesn't love Jesus deep down inside or in the end. In the end, Peter is crucified. Jesus comes back to him, says, do you love me, Peter? He makes him say it three times. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. John Piper and Tim Keller, if you're listening, feed his sheep, feed his sheep. Jesus talks about the good shepherd and how you know the difference between the good shepherd and the shepherd who is just a hireling because the mercenary shepherd who's just there for his wages, he takes flight when danger comes. He doesn't stay and protect the sheep. The good shepherd, he leaves the 99 to go after the one. Feed his sheep. Truth. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Feed his sheep. Arise, kill and eat. Fight. Now I think about that dream that Paul has in the book of Acts. A sheet is descending from heaven. I think about that dream that Peter had in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. And I'm just going to read this for you real briefly. It's a vision. It says, The next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, 
Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them to be his guests. We have here God using this idea that there are clean and unclean animals. And this was part of the law. This was for a time in the Old Testament Certain animals are unclean, certain animals are clean. You can eat the clean, you can't eat the unclean. Thus saith the Lord. And God uses this idea that Peter is familiar with, this idea which can be embraced to honor God, but it can also be embraced as a kind of self-righteousness, as a kind of self-justification of religious pride. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. God uses that to highlight the fact that the gospel is for all nations, not just Israel. Arise, kill, and eat. Get after it. Go. Do it. That's not your flesh. He's up there to pray. He's hungry. He wants something to eat. Food's being made. Is that his flesh? Anyway, bread lines, they're a good thing. At the end of the line, you get bread. Or, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Don't fear man. Fear God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. With that, I thank you. I thank you for supporting and encouraging my effort here with the podcast. It is still highly experimental. If you're not going to fight yourself, support the fighters. My grandpa, Ernest Mullet, was a merchant marine. He kept the boiler going on the ship so that the ship kept going, so that the supplies kept going out to the men who were fighting. My grandpa, Richard Osborne Renew, was a nurse. In the Navy, he patched up men who were coming back from the D-Day Omaha Beach Normandy invasion. He had a nervous breakdown over it, by the way, because he saw wounds and death and dying and pain and suffering and agony as a young, young man with a gentle spirit, and it broke him. It cost it had a cost, but he did it. He served his country. I am so proud of his service. I am so proud of my Grandpa Mullet's service. If you're not going to fight, support the fighters, because we have a fight on our hands, and we need to fight. There's a time and a season for everything. Arise, kill, and eat. Fight. Do it. Go. 
With that, I thank you for listening. Be well. Reach out if you have a comment, concern, objection, complaint, question, suggestion for future episodes. Until next time, God bless.